Hey everyone, it is Shelly and Adam back with Marketing Monday. I'm in the reverb room with no sound deadening, so sorry for all the echoes. And Shelly is, of course, in her pallet prison, as we love to call it. And we have uh, Lisa, who is yeah. in basically a broom closet because uh, <laughs> some things going on at her house. <laughs> yes, she's in, she's in the vault. Like, knows how like the vault is iconic in the baby wearing world. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Well, we're going to get into some iconic things today. Hopefully, this is going to be an iconic podcast. It's going to be epic because Alisa is joining us all the way from Chicago and she makes some pretty epic products. And she has some pretty awesome things that we're going to be talking about with COVID and overcoming just lots of different challenges. But first, Alisa, can you please yeah. give us a little bit of a rundown of? who you are, how you even came into this crazy business that you have, all these kinds of things. We want to learn all about you. All right. All about me. Um, so I'm Elisa DeMarco. Um, I'm out of Chicago. I am mother of four children now um, and a husband of, oh, I have to do some math here. Is it going on 17 years now? Um, long time. Sounds good. And uh, <laughs> I won't, I won't challenge wow. you on it. Um, my children were, uh, they're all fairly close in age, except for my last one, which was a blessed surprise. And, um, but when I had my three younger ones, you know, three under five, um, I was working full time outside of the home. Um, uh, my husband also worked full time CPA. So we had some crazy busy seasons where he would not be around. It was just me with the kids. Tax um, season. Oh, <laughs> tax season is the worst. It is the worst. Um, but, you know, in the same, you know, side, like the other side of the coin, like it helps us and it allows us to live and, and um, flourish as a family. So we also kind of embrace tax season in a weird kind of way. Um so, Did you guys uh, have like a pre-party for taxes? Yeah, it's oh, wow. uh, it's afterwards. It's it's like the day after tax season ends. Um, and oh, then okay. we have tax season in the fall, and it's a whole thing. And this year, it was like the longest tax season on earth. Um, I digress. Uh, so me being a tax widow for much of the year um, with these three young kids, three under five, um, I used uh, baby carriers and wraps and slings to just make my life easier simply because I only have two hands and I had three kids and they always want to be close to you. They want to be um, near you um, and you have to transport them somehow just for ease of things. And Shelly knows about all about this. Um, so I used wraps and slings. Um, my background is in um, painting and art, studio art major. Um, and was working as a graphic designer outside the home. Um, and it was it was too much. Um, trying to meet all of my kids' needs and while working full time was not working. Um, and at that point, I had found my way into baby wearing groups and this whole attachment parenting culture. Um, and I kind of fell down this rabbit hole of freelance design and art for, companies and thought, gosh, what if I could just do something from home so that I, I we could still pay the bills and we can make things work? Um, I'm helping design these wraps and these slings for other companies. What if I just did it myself? Yeah, I um, love it. And 
took my took our life savings, wrote a business plan, um, and my husband said, "All right, well, we're going to do this, and if it doesn't work, it's fine. Um, we'll just eat ramen for a while. We'll shut off cable. We'll figure it out, and you get another job again. And you know, hey, we we gave it a shot." So um, hold but, hold on hold on one second. Yeah. Just re- I I just want to touch on something really quick. Yes. So your husband, the accountant, See, was mm-hmm. was all in. He was like, "Yep, let's do it." Well, uh, I mean, it took some time and thinking, but of course, we're looking at the idea that we're falling apart. Like I have, you know, diapers, and I'm nursing kids, and I'm trying to stay in, and, and kids are getting sick, and I'm like, I'm running myself ragged. I I can't do this anymore. Um, I need to find something where I'm home for them. And plus come kindergarten as my oldest son was approaching, I wanted to be there when he got off the bus because then we were looking at, well, then are we doing daycare after school? I mean, he's going to be gone for so long during the day and I won't ever see them. Um, So it was a risk willing to take. Um, There were no loans. I've never had any loans. This was always self-funded, all that, you know, everyone likes to talk about that bootstrapping type thing. And it really was, it was working other stuff, doing freelance work and scraping together my money on the side to know I needed this amount of money to start this and purchase all these pieces. Um, and fortunately it did work. Um, I, it expanded quite quickly. Um, I had to hire staff. I had to find new mills. I had to navigate this whole world of, uh, marketing and production, you know, when stuff goes wrong, uh, which happens a lot, yeah. um, more often than you think, and adding um, ideas in <clears throat> other parts to your lines as well. And it's been a roller coaster over the years. Um, and it's now turned into kind of a secondary um, arm that helped with, that started with the help uh, a little bug from Shelly. Um, who was looking for something back in her former life as well. And um, here it is today. And that was three kids. And now I have four kids. Um, and it's still going, although right now I feel like we're in a holding pattern with everything that's going on. So uh, over the years, some of my focus and talent, especially in the past year, has moved to a lot of um, freelance work, uh, um, R&D work, um, I'll consult for other companies, other um, juvenile companies, um, prepping their product lines, doing their production. Um, and that helps as well because, again, it's something I can do at home. It's something I can do on my laptop. Um, I don't have to go out to shows. It's not relying on um, uh, retail sales and, and which big box is able to pick things up and things of that nature. So. How many how many months of savings did you guys have when you started the business? It was let's see what did I estimate? I think it was like twenty thousand or so. Um, so pretty healthy savings. That. Yeah, I mean it was it was a a good chunk of change at least for me. I mean this was something that we you know we had three kids and um, so that could have been used for other things as well. But the idea is this was going to be an investment in the future and had it all laid out where it was going to go to how many runs and then, you know, reinvesting things and employees that we could bring in and and how we would balance it all. What was the conversation like a couple of months later where um, 
I don't know. I guess I don't know. I, you had said that you guys were pretty successful straight off the bat, but I'm guessing there was probably like month two, three, something like that, where, you know, things were going okay, but it hadn't quite hit the hockey stick yet. And things oh, are getting tense and stuff like that. What was, oh, what was, yeah. what was that bedtime conversation with your husband? Like when that was, when that moment was going on? I mean, there have been points in time where there's a lot of, uh, there's stress and worry and you have to trust it. Um, I mean, when I finally, I left my full-time job, you know, because I had set things up to a certain point and I put in my notice, it was in, it was in August. And um, I remember when I cleaned out my desk, I mean, that uh, it was, cor not only was it corporate America, but it was also, it was my career. It was, um, I held benefits. I had an office, like this was, you know, I had that that dream, that corporate dream. And what was I doing? I was throwing that away to make baby wraps like and use my money to do it. It seemed, yes, and I know Shelly that understands this very well. Yep. It seemed outrageous, the idea of this. And I remember in the parking lot, one of my coworkers that I worked closely with, uh, Bill, and just crying to Bill, like, what did I just do? And he's like, no, 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 this is fine. You got this. He's like, we've went over this. We went over this. This is going to be great. You're going to do great. I know it. I know it. And if it if it doesn't work out, then you could come back here. You could go anywhere else. And it was a moment of panic. And there were times when I thought, oh boy, what if what did I do? Like, I, I have now I have fabric and I have a seamstress. And like, what if nobody wants this stuff? What if what if I misjudge? What if nobody gets this? And now I'm sitting on all of this product. Ninety percent of businesses they fail in the first year. Like I know all the stats, my husband does too, because he works with businesses that go out of business every day. So um, it was definitely a risk. And some of it, you know, my husband said, we're just, we're going to write it out. We're going to do it. It's, it's gone. You've put too much into this now to just kind of chicken out and say no. And we've had points along the way where that was the case as well, where there was a stumbling block or a roadblock. And we thought, maybe I just need to shut this down and be done. And it's like, well, no, you need to see this through. We need to see where this is going to go first. Hmm. Shelly, what? Really valuable information, like very valuable perspective, I think, you know, coming from somebody who, so seven years into it, but I mean, there is a lot of people that get into it in that first year. And, you know, I think a lot of people make the assumption when they jump into um, starting a new business that it's just it's you're going to have little bumps here and there but that you don't ever doubt it that you have this immense confidence yeah. and the reality of it is like it's it's not especially for for moms especially when you're trying to juggle the kids and when you're like you're really trying to figure out is this is this the path that I'm supposed to be on am I spending more time preoccupied like yes I'm physically present for the kids but am I preoccupied I'm always on my phone I'm always on my computer I'm trying to nurse while I'm sending emails and I'm trying to you know I mean every day well, well and the whole idea was that I was I wanted to open up more time in my life and then there came point right. where that wasn't the case and I thought oh gosh why am I doing this right now I need to sit down and reassess this um, yep. because it hit a point that it was right to move into consumer shows and other types of um, trade shows, because that was really the way to get this out now and into people's hands. Because unless you are a major company um, like Bjorn or some, you know, Infantino, something of that nature where you're 
in regularly in big box stores, you need to get this into the hands of people and really work every marketing edge um, and open piece that you have to let people know, hey, I'm here. This company is here. This product is here. And we are as good or better than what you see out there. And this is why. But it's hitting the pavement and it's, you know, 12, 15 plus shows a year. And it was a lot of traveling. Um, I think the other thing that's really valuable to throw in at some point in the conversation is that coming from the industry that you and I came from, baby products are not a high margin industry. And I think that amazes some people because in t there's a lot of people that have boutiques, there's, you know, women's clothing and that kind of stuff. And when you comparatively look at the margins that are made in infant gear, baby gear, um, specifically carriers or car seats or, you know, any type of gear, the margins are so narrow. If that tiny, tiny, tiny. So you're making all of this sacrifice and hustling and working so stinking hard for a very low margin. And because you're selling them, you didn't sell for the most part, like a big portion of yours, at least from maybe you should clarify this for me, at least it looked like to me, you know, a you did quite a bit of direct to consumer, which obviously you're going to have a heart, you're going to have a higher margin on direct to consumer than you are on wholesale. But, you know, when you look at wholesale, your margins are even, it's basically nothing at that point. And you're putting all of this time and energy into maintaining relationships and building relationships and, you know, whatnot for, you know, 20%, you know, if that right. Right. And that was a huge balance in trying to find that, making sure that there was enough direct consumer to offset um, any of the wholesale accounts. So that was always a balance, too. That was something that worked out fairly well. Um, and there were a lot of ups and downs in wholesale, which, you know, now following okay. the end of even 2019, I'd say 2019, and then of course sailing into 2020 with COVID-19 and watching how it's really affected retail, especially smaller retail stores. Like it's been heartbreaking to get emails that we see, hey, I'm sorry, you know, our shop is closing. Thank you for your help and support. We've gotten so many of those emails and it is, um, it, it's sad. Like it, I feel awful because I understand like I'm watching other people's dreams that they put all of this time and effort in and sometimes it's not enough. Right. Yeah. I just, I, you know, I, I think it's very valuable because your, your situation given that is probably quite a bit different than some of the other people that we've talked to up to this point in that, you know, you're in manufacturing as well as the sales business. And so it involves a whole different set of um, ways to market or, you know, a lot and of different diversify. Things. That has definitely been the point to know people are like, you know, you're still going. There are people who are not like in terms of woven wrap companies in the U S I don't think there's anybody else left. Like I, I have, really? I, what's that? I haven't, I haven't kept up very well. Apparently um, I half joke, um, you know, movie Forrest Gump, um, the Jenny, you know, after the storm, Jenny's the only one left. Be the Jenny is my is my mantra. I'm gonna be the Jenny. I'm gonna put that out. on your wall. You're a cockroach, you're you're not gonna be able to get rid of me, um, because it's just pivoting and um, finding that new path. Whether it's through 
it was through the studio line trying to find that wholesale niche. Well, right now when everything is shut down, it's moving more into um, any of the consulting stuff and helping other people behind the scenes to boost them up um, and just kind of maintaining status quo until we can shift into another direction. I'm going to, uh, this is a little early in the show to um, throw something out there, but I'm going to throw right. a super left field Go for it. ball out there. I was talking to a gal. She, this is probably like a year ago now. And she was a, uh, she practiced the Muslim religion. And mm -hmm. as a female, she wore the, um, um, the head garb. Sorry. I'm, I know yeah. there's a proper name for it, but mm -hmm. I'm spacing on it right now. And we got to talking and she's like, it's very difficult as a Muslim woman to try and find any clothing that is appropriate for my religion while also looking like unique and different and stuff like that. You basically just get solid colors, maybe a few patterns here and there, and that's about it. Well, just throwing super far left field out of here, like I'm imagining that if you're doing a ring sling or something like that, that it's probably not too far off from doing maybe some decorative um, headwear for Muslim religion. Now doing full clothing line, like I, uh, listen, I'm a guy, I don't really understand the ins and outs of like designing a blouse or whatever, but I, it's not easy. Like, right. uh, I know that much, but seems like trying to do some like unique head garb, which, you know, may or may not be super popular in the United States. Are you international by chance? Or yeah. Just I mean, we have retailers and customers all over the world. I'm actually, we're running a couple of pre-orders for uh, a wrap, which might make Shelly smile that that's still going on, um, specifically for a group out of France right now, which is pretty nice. cool. Um, so we have a lot of international dresses, some for, I'm trying to think once it's just other places in Europe, like they told a friend, you told a friend type of thing. Yep. Um, it's interesting that you say that. So there is a, a company called uh, Rapunzel um, who does exactly what you're talking about. They make all kinds of head wraps and scarves. Um, and we found them actually through a friend, uh, a dear friend of mine who worked uh, for Techni for a number of years. Um, she uh, she was sick. At, she still is at this point, um, but is doing well. Um, but earlier on, she needed uh, head wraps and covers for herself um, and found Rapunzel through some of these internet groups and said, gosh, this would be a really great fit, wouldn't it? And I said, I think it would be. So we did kind of a, a small collaboration with them um, on something. Uh, nice. Because of the type of material, it's not an exact fit and it's even less margins than you think on pieces like that. So it wasn't an area I specifically wanted to go into, but that's exactly the type of thing. Like, like sitting around and trying to brainstorm like, what would be a natural progression? What would be something that we could touch or something that we could hit in those um, those manners? Um, yeah. Especially as we move from um, carriers into accessories and other pieces. So we do quite a bit of um, blankets now, scarves, um, scarves like you wear for like winter. Because again, I live in a frozen tundra of Chicago for most of the year. Um, bags and other pieces as well. Hmm. So, um, I'm going to ask, what was the first like real win that you remember? Like in your first year, what was like the one account, if you're able to talk about it, that you landed that you were just like, 
we're good. Like we got it. Um, gosh. So which came first there? I'm trying to do some math real quick. Um, there were two big ones. Um, one was Cotton Babies, which is out of a uh, company out of St. Louis um, that does cloth diapers. Um, and they were huge. They were huge, huge, huge. And now they are in Walmart um, and are still going even today. But in their their prime, if you will, approached me and wanted to do some collaborations. Um, and it was the largest volume account that we ever had. Nice. And it took over my first floor. And I have pictures from that day when we were packing up 40 boxes, I want to say. I mean, we had I had to get a special UPS truck to come and get everything. Um, <laughs> and it was that was pretty cool. Like that stands out in my mind as being a really exciting moment where I thought this this is OK. Like we can do this when I have to hire extra staff so we can prep for that. How, how long did that take and how did that account even come about? Um, from talking to people at shows, getting to know them, um, a lot of the business world is relationships and being kind to people and being willing to help other people. Cause they're going to help you too. Cause we're all, they're all in the same place. Everyone is all just trying to find the best fit, um, to get to their end goal in the most efficient way. So we're all trying to work together and help other people too. Um, and they were someone who said, you know what, this is really, um, a, uh, popular item right now and you're doing well and we would love to have you in our shop. So that was, that was pretty cool to have. Nice. Um, the one, uh, account that sticks out that led to other stuff, um, and beyond into research and development and a lot of my consulting stuff that continues even today was through Becco baby. Um, and again, knowing somebody uh, who worked through there and said, you know what, there might, maybe we could work on something together here. And me putting together a proposal and coming up with more ideas. And after a session, it was uh, apparent that maybe there was more than just one project. Maybe this was something that could continue on. Um, and I ended up also um, taking on uh, research and development for um, Beckle Baby um, and worked uh, for a couple of years until they had sold to Boba. Um, wow. and it was, that was a very exciting time. I got to work on carriers beyond, um, really work on, um, you know, production elements, um, finding any of my overseas contacts and really solidifying stuff that I even use today. Um, and that was, and it was also, it was, it was fun. It was a lot of marketing stuff that got to connect Techni to this very large name, um, for all these specialized carriers. And every time something would come out, um, it, it felt surreal, it, you know, imposter syndrome, where you think they're really using my stuff on a carrier. Um, and then that kind of, that idea was very popular to work with other designers and whatnot for other carriers going forward. So it was fun. Are you in direct contact with um, the actual customers internationally or... Um, is it you working with other companies that then they do the research and figure out, well, this is going to be popular in this country and this is going to be popular in that country? Oh, I see what you're saying. Um, it depends. It depends on the company. Um, there's two companies that I'm working with specifically right now. I don't want to say their names. That's fine. Um, but I'm being selfish for a moment. No, uh, I understand. Um, research and development stuff, usually if it's coming from another company, will come to me. But some of it is also projecting trends and ideas. Um, 
one of the, just based on sales that I've seen and ideas that I thought would hit based on what's going on now. Cause a lot of stuff is very um, cyclical just in terms of what's popular, what items come out. And now that I've been around this industry, even beyond Techni for a de over a decade, I've seen stuff move into popularity and then fall again and then come back up. Right. Um, so it, ring slings, for instance, nobody had had an opening price point, a ring sling in a big box store. That was the one hole that I noticed that was there. I said, there's no OPP option besides a padded sling. Nobody has it. And um, that was one of my um, things that I harped to, to Becco, was that you don't want to do um, a stretchy wrap you want to do a ring sling. They said, well, why would, why would we do a ring sling? I said, because nobody else has it. And it's a brand new hole in the industry. And I think they would pick it up. And I think that you can hit your price point for it. And that was one of those, well, show me how, do it then. Show us how it's going to be. And created the Becco sling, which at the time was a huge deal because nobody had a ring sling that was going to be not only um, D to C, but it was going to be B to B, like it was going to, it was aimed to go into big box with the price point and nobody had that. And that goes back to uh, CPSC issues and scares. There was in 2010, there was a whole bunch of um, recalls and deaths. So nobody wanted to even touch that segment, but the idea was to come out with something that was already tested safe. It wasn't like the other ones. It was newer. And it worked and then was signed on to do the same thing for another company who is still in big box right now. Um, and that was kind of the idea behind studio technique. And that's been a huge trend. Like that is now because it's cheaper, it's less labor, production costs are lower and it's an easier learning curve for new parents to use. So it becomes a very popular carrier and we've seen that in sales. For sure. So how do you how do you spot your the trends in um, the U.S. or in another country as of right now? Is it like you in these specific kinds of groups that you are literally having your ear to the ground and well, seeing man. what people are talking about, or is there a specific technique that you're using or software? Um, no, no software per se. Um, some of it is just checking sales, seeing what's popular, you know, always uh, browsing out um, a newer trend that we've seen in. And this came out of Asia, uh, the hip seat. So hip seats were very, very popular. Um, Asia, just in that area in particular. Um, and those have kind of moved into Europe and now in the U.S. It's been a, a popular option that people like. Um, it's not my favorite choice of carriers, but it is something that consumers like and they're drawn to for their ease and some other differences. Um, there are other pieces that I believe will be are slowly making their way in. And it's just based on what you can see, what's out there in sales. Um, and when something does hit the market, how popular is it? And sometimes it is. It's very just checking these small groups and seeing where things are at or it's it's browsing what his Bye Bye Baby picked up you know, as of this week and, or what is trending here at different shows, which we don't have right now. Um, we right. Don't, you know, can't, everything's canceled. ABC's canceled, KJ, et cetera. Um, but what's there. 
So that kind of leads me into two questions for you. So one, I, I guess this is more of a comment than a question, but yeah. one of the things that I think the reason that you've always been able to stay well ahead of the trends is like you are so active in your community. And I know, Adam, you probably don't see this, obviously, because you're not a part of the techni world, but like techni has a cult following and it always has like the people for techni there. There are groups that Elisa doesn't even um, manage or run like people have created their own technique groups mm-hmm. um, because they're so crazy about technique and they rave about it and blah 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 but I would imagine and please correct me if I'm wrong I would imagine that you probably get a lot of your insights as to the next step or the next place to go through those groups because they are so active and saying I really love this but I wish I could have this or I got this different type of carrier or I got this product or whatever is this something that Technique could do I know I've seen a lot of that um, in the groups over the years of like hey I really love this or I saw my sister had this or whatever is this something that you could do and so I would imagine that has really helped with your trends and and such yeah, yeah, absolutely. Design-wise and whatnot. Um, even though my background is um, in art, um, Techni exists, or any of you know these projects and whatnot exists because of the consumers. So it's important to listen to them, um, and that moves into things. Uh, you know, the past couple years, two to three years, it's been a very um, uh, geeky, trending type of theme that we've seen. So um, while that is not my background in it, um, I'm taking leads from, well, I would love to see something that was inspired by Star Wars or Harry Potter. Or yeah, I was just going to say, like, your Star Wars stuff, like, always oh went nutso. Like, even at the, even back with, in Elegamami days, like, when you would come out with anything Rebel or when you would come out, like, God. the different color patterns and, like, it was so crazy. Like, people would... People just go nuts for, you know, Harry Potter and Star Wars and, you know, those kind of cult following things. Right. And they loved it. And just trying to hit different um, color palettes for different seasons that would mm-hmm. that would maintain that and still keeping that same feel, that same design feel to everything. But knowing what do you all want to see type of thing, because I want to make what consumers want to have. And that move to accessories, bags blankets, things of that nature. What what do you guys want to see and getting that feedback and being open to what worked or what didn't work with this piece? Like so people- you're already activated in your in your group and asking them, hey guys, this is the product that we're coming out with. Um, what do you like? What don't you like? Mm-hmm. You're already asking those questions in those groups. Yeah. And trying to have that feedback. Um, for instance, uh, you know, with COVID right now, uh, face covers and whatnot. Um, that was something that, especially at the start, I'm like, oh, gosh, I, I know that people are doing this. I don't think this is something for a number of reasons, including liability reasons and production and um, margins and, and a million reasons why this is not something that I wanted to do. However, as it became apparent that this was going to be the standard and people needed to have face covers um, coupled with the volume of requests that we had from people. I mean, at that point, we also had a jump and we do scrap packs when we have, we upcycle everything, Adam. So Shelly knows this, but we don't throw a single piece of fabric away. So we have um, accessories all along the way that we use that use up everything. Very, very green. Like we literally don't throw away a single thing. 
Um, so we have these scrap packs where we make of salvage ends and people, we had this huge boom of scrap packs, which we saw people were using to make masks and face covers. And it came down to, okay, I need to talk to my seamstresses. What do you feel comfortable with? Because my seamstresses are local, like they're five minutes away. Um, I need to see one of them today. They're like family. Um, my kids know them. My kids love them. Um, you know, Miss Joanna and Uncle Bob. Um, and this is, you know, this is part of our life. It's it's employing people who are local and keeping that economy um, healthy and well. Um, and once they were on board with it and we had some options that worked, we were able to bring it out to, you know, at a price point that I felt comfortable with. We brought it out to consumers. Um, and again, it would not have been my first choice for a million reasons, but we have sold, I, I can't even begin to tell you, like we still have stuff stocked, but we're waiting to do another proactive push closer to when schools may or may not open in the fall because it became so overwhelming. We would open it up and then had to close it because we'd have 500 orders. Yep. Um, and we, I don't have anybody on site really working right now because again, COVID. So it's me and my kids who may have messed up an order or two. I apologize to everybody that happened to. Um, <laughs> threading pies and um, fill, you know, filling bags and stickering everything and off it goes. So uh, yes, definitely listening to consumers is part of it <clears throat> because without their drive, I wouldn't have done it. Um, so then that leads me to the next question. Sorry, I didn't, I wanted to. No, no you go, yeah, go ahead. So that leads me to the next next question. So what are you doing in any facet or any side of the business to stay connected to your consumers? So like if ABC is canceled, I'm assuming JPMA or, you know, any of those kind of, I mean, those were more wholesale shows obviously, but like what how have you had to change your marketing, your community, your outreach to stay connected in this world in the last six months? Um, because this would typically be, I mean, you know, summer in retail, you buy everything for the rest of the year at shows, right? So like you start yeah. attending shows in May or June so that you're ready for fourth quarter and have everything planned out for the entire year. And if you haven't been able to be there selling your product at any shows, how are you connecting with people who, who build those relationships? Or she's, she's like, this is why I'm consuming a bottle of wine at night. Yeah, like, yeah. This, this is no, what I'm literally keeping up at night about. That's, that's the million dollar question, my friend. Um, it's It's been rough. Uh, when it became apparent that things were shutting down and um, shows were probably not going to be a thing. Um, we did some sales pushes to clear out a lot of stock because it's uncertain. We didn't know what would happen. Like we're constantly in production and looking two to three months ahead with stuff that my seamstresses have based on what shows, where we're going to be, um, where, you know, which accounts had ordered what. So it helps us keep like, you know, just projecting out what our year is going to look like. And our year, this has been um, a very unexpected year. So right now we're running very low on inventory, honestly, because we don't know where or what, where to go. Um, we had to change um, production facilities again. Um, there, we had to change in 2019 for some, for some mills because economy-wise, uh, within a stretch of eight weeks, our two main mills um, 
went bankrupt and closed. Um, and it, which is just a sign of uh, the times and economies and whatnot. Um, and we were up and running and then COVID and that kind of happened again, nothing's really opening. So we found another option and we have things running because you just, you have to move, you have to keep moving and changing. Um, trying to just be alert and see what people are doing, checking on again, seeing what's going on in big box, seeing what's still going on in smaller boutiques. And a lot of it is laying low. Um, and that pivot for me was filling holes with, um, you know, face covers, um, some extra sales to clear out inventory. So we're ready to purchase when we know what direction we want to go to, um, and doing more consulting work to fill some of this, um, because what's that? Sorry, real quick question. Yeah. Yeah. Is most of your guys' material synthetic or is it cotton? Um, a little bit of both. The majority of it, it's a cotton warp um, on everything that we do. Most stuff is natural um, fibers. Um, however, that brings up another good point. Um, so way back in 2014, one way that I made kind of a mark on the industry and made myself um, loved or hated at the same time was I experimented with something called Reprieve which is very popular now. I just bought my kids a pair of jeans with it on there and they know exactly what Reprieve is. Um, Reprieve is a, it's essentially a recycled poly, polyester, um, but it also extends to water bottles and things. So the type of Reprieve that I use is made from 100% post-consumer recycled water bottles. Um, and it is used in, like a tech fiber type of thing. So it's meant to be um, moisture wicking and temperature regulating and breathable. So it's used in cycling uniforms. Um, it's used in sporting pieces. It's used by um, North Face. It's used by Ford in a lot of their, um, um, in a lot of their cars for their seats and whatnot. Um, and it tested very well. It was a very new fiber at the time. No one had ever, ever, ever used anything synthetic. And um, I was, you would think I was clubbing baby seals when I brought this to market. And um, it, it was very, very controversial. Who would think that this would be something that would get people, you know, all up in arms? Um, mm, I guess I, I, it doesn't was really doesn't really miss the mark too much for me, right. but it, it the was, reason, yeah, the reason ahead. why the reason why I asked was because um, I'm guessing that it, from the sounds of it, uh, you're wanting to do more when you're looking for mills. It's more is it U.S. based or is it China or uh, no China um, no. U.S. based? Uh, I also have a couple mills in India that I use too. Um, so I actually, I don't have a contact number, but I do know of a, um, a mill in Maine that it is full of incredibly proud, um, all cotton, uh, origin origin. Yep. I think I've heard of that. Um, um so th there's a guy that I follow. Uh, his name is Jocko Willink yeah. and he actually is part owner in this company. He found them. And the story behind Origin is absolutely phenomenal. Like, great. They found this original, the only mill left in the United States, cotton mill, that nice. was made from like 1800s, 1700s, and completely rebuilt the whole thing by they hand. Weave? They weave yeah. the mill. 
Yep. You got contact there? I, I, I don't. Like I said, I just know of the company. And but from the sounds of it, they are they just put out phenomenal work. Um, really fast expanding, growing company. Yeah. Um, because I, I remember the first time they came onto the podcast and they were just kind of like, you know, itty bitty, we've got like just a couple of mills, and then just poof, like they're making jeans, they're making workwear. I mean, they are going nuts. Fabulous. I will give them a call. I have a friend that was working at a different mill, one of the ones that closed and he's working somewhere new now. So we're looking at some options. They may even have some options um, for knit as well. Knit is a whole other industry, but um, yeah, you're going to have to forgive me for being ignorant on this part of it because I just kind of think, oh, mill, mill, mill's a mill. <laughs> it, it's hard because it depends on what type of looms they run. Um, I need to have at least like double width looms that run ideally at 60 inches. Like there's some. Yeah, of course. I got to have a 60. <laughs> parameters that you need. So it, it may come down to we even see it and they're like, oh, we only run dobbies, you know, sing, single with dobbies. And I'm like, I can't use those right now. That's too old but, technology. I need the newest stuff. <laughs> right. Air jets. Exactly. So it may be possible that I'm going to check, but I, I'll make phone calls. I have no problem doing that because I always love a lead. Um, and some of it is, yeah, trying to find something that fits or something that will work with you. Sometimes if you have more of an heirloom, like specialty mill, the pricing may be just too high that it's not something that right. fits me because Right. The number of layers that you have to have, you have to make sure that I can still sustain because my cut and sew is all local and everybody's paid very living wages. So we need to make sure that we are able to sustain that for the actual um, final product that we can also put then to wholesale and then out to retail. But so it's always we, we've got to we've got to dive into the meat. Of yes, this a sorry, bit. I'm babbling here. Please no, it's in, totally fine. Here. It's so I want to kind of come back to what we were talking about a little bit, like how, and maybe this has, but I haven't seen any of it anywhere, but how has nobody in the trade show world taken this on a virtual level yet? Or has somebody, like I haven't seen it, but yeah. like, how is this not a thing yet? Like, here's what I'm having a really hard time grasping my brain around. So, which I think you can probably understand from the retail perspective, right? So it's it, this week is going to be August 1st. So how are these people, these businesses, retail stores expected to be able to survive and innovate and have, you know, have a strong season? Now, granted, like how they innovate is up to them, obviously, and how they, you know, present and sell to their customer is different. But here's, yes, our economy has suffered. However, I've, I still have so many contacts with so many people that there's a ton of people that are thriving as well because they've learned how to shift and pivot and be able to sell online and be able to sell different products. And just like you're talking about, right? But how are those places going to be able to do that in October, November, December during fourth quarter? Because people are still going to celebrate Christmas. People, There's plenty of people who are killing it with their wages right now in different ages in different areas and are able to still spend the same amount of money and or, or even more or support local or whatever but how are they going to do that if there isn't trade shows to find out about other products or sales or deals or pre-orders or you know whatever so do you mean um direct to consumer or business to business 
Like, oh, a, like but, so trade show wise, I have not seen for business to business. I've not seen any B2B shows that have went virtual yet. Um, I know that they just, um, and Shelly will understand this. I believe they just canceled K&J a couple weeks ago um, and ABC like a week ago or so. So I don't know if or how they would even be able to manage that. I just, I don't even know how that would work for a virtual show and on such small um, or such a shortened timeline. Um, I know for consumer shows, there is um, a show that I've been working with and I'm so sad. Like we loved it, uh, Prego Expo. Mm -hmm. um, a couple of ladies that were based out of Florida um, and really had done a great job making an affordable show, um, getting consumers in the door who really were open to learn and wanted to purchase product and it worked for everybody. They are dabbling in the, um, the virtual show type of um, setup. Um, I haven't attended one yet just simply because of everything that's going on. I also have four kids at home right now and I'm just, it's, we're, we're kind of floundering um, like many people, right? Unsure of which direction to take. Um, unsure of, you know, signing a, a, a contract for something that you just don't know how it will pan out type of thing. Um, so there is one, and I and I know from one person who did fairly well in it, um, I don't know how it would translate to somebody like me. It's a very, very hands-on piece. Um, when I'm going to these shows, and especially I go with studio, we'll sell two to three dozen ring slings at a show. Um, simply because it's putting it on people. People who are pregnant, either they've never seen it before or they've heard that it's very um, complicated to use these things and you have to demo it and you have to show them, no, 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 it's not. Come here, let me show you. Now you're gonna do it yourself. And if you can get it on somebody, they will absolutely purchase one. Yeah. Problem so is sure. they need to get it on someone. Yeah. So. That's, it just fascinates me. I think from a marketing perspective, like that's such a huge piece of your marketing. Um, previously in in any juvenile space like that's that's how you get stuff you know it was right and that's that's the hard part that pivot has not really been done yet what it's happened is a lot of people have pulled back a bit and are going harder direct to consumer which we are our sales on, on direct to consumer are up compared to how they were even slightly previous to COVID. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Most of our sales actually are not based on, they're not with any sort of, they're not associated with any sort of sale or coupon code, which in the past it was, we were very much moving towards this Kohl's model of things. Um, right. And we are seeing that across the industry where people were, it was better to almost artificially inflate your MSRP so you could bring it down by a percentage because it was just consumer mindset. They were so used to it, so used to the Kohl's mindset, yeah. right? You know exactly how yeah. it is. We're not seeing that. The majority of my sales now are 100% full price, which is going back to what you're saying, Shelly, is some people, their industries are the lucky ones or, or whatnot. They're still making money and they still need to spend stuff. So they're making very informed choices and say, well, I wanted to get this size six wrap and I am going to purchase it. I don't need to wait for 20% off. I'm ready to do it now. Right. Yeah. Um, so in just kind of, uh, obviously it's very difficult to try and like condense all this down into yeah. a problem that is, uh, um, th I, there's so much layers and complexity to this that I'm not even going to try to begin to understand everything. But what it sounds like from what I'm picking up, it sounds like that um, 
direct to consumer is something that you're already kind of going down. You might just kind of like be like, eh, do, do I do I want to do it? Do I not? Um, it's kind of like tiptoeing in and out of it. My question would mostly come down to what would be so bad about just saying, you know what? Like, see you later, B2B. Like, I've got to just, I've just got to go down this road. And if, yes. if I pick you up along the way, like happy days, but like otherwise just shoof, I'm, I'm going this way. So that, and that's hard. Like that's a conflicted part because I've seen a couple of very large companies in the past year and beyond who have just done that because it's a matter of survival. Um, Sakura Bloom went direct to consumer only. Um, Good example. And it was not a well done strategy. Um, and then Tula just did it and it was kind of slipped in like backdoor. Oh, by the way, as of this week, we're, we're no longer selling we're only doing direct consumer. Well, that's um, exactly what Secura did too. From yeah. the retailer perspective. Like I got an email one day that said, sorry, you can't order anymore. Period. Like, I don't care if you had people waiting. I don't care. Like I got an email one day that said, we're not selling to you anymore. Period. I can't do that. Well, and <laughs> I guess there might, there might be like uh, some contracts in place that says that you can't go direct to consumer. Um, but no, I mean, a lot of it is a lot of like handshake and whatnot. Like I will always honor those things, even actually to a point at this point, because people and I understand we have a lot of um, businesses that are struggling, especially our retailers. They are all struggling. So we've pretty much waived all minimums at this point. It comes down to what do you want in your store? Like, what are you looking for? Well, I don't want to buy, you know, $250 worth, but I do need to replace. That's fine. You tell me and we'll take care of it. So trying to really because I, I get it. Um, and I'm trying to put, I'm trying to I know, put myself to in, your, in your position, which actually isn't really all that difficult because my product is, um, is very much so in the same boat as you as well. Oh, what kind of product? Oh, well, we're not going to get into that. Uh, but, that's all. Um, okay. I can definitely understand the, the I can understand why you want to do that. And I can understand right. that if you were to even send out a letter in, to everyone or email, you know, whatever it's same, right. you know what I mean? Saying guys, listen, like we have been trying to make this work B2B wise for the last six months for the sake of the company. We, we need your support and understanding that we, in order for us to even survive, which I'm not saying, I, I don't want to put it out there. I don't want to put it out there that you're, you know, in that position because you're most likely not. It, it wouldn't be right now. It's not survival and whatnot is not relying on B2B versus um, D2C. It, it isn't like that because I have been able to um, diversify enough. I technically have two lines, like a main line that is very, very heavy direct consumer. And then the studio line, which is more of an opening price point type under 99 pieces which is very heavy wholesale um, that has now gone closer. It's really moved more towards the mainline piece where it's more direct consumer. Um, um, the one that I have built for wholesale has the margins in for the wholesale. So I'm going to jump in Adam, cause I think this will help you a little bit with where I think your head is going with your stuff as well from, from the retailer perspective. So to answer your question, on the, uh, on the flip side of that, right? Mm -hmm. So 
for instance, when it happened with Secura or when it's happened with even like one of the major things in the baby industry is exclusives, right? Like that was such a huge hot topic, like any diaper or carrier or whatever, people would like run exclusives and only this store could sell it or only, or let's say that, you know, X manufacturer made these and only they would sell it to their customers. They wouldn't allow their wholesalers to buy and sell it to their customers, right? right? Okay. So from the retailer perspective, the distinction came in that, let's say in Elisa's case, we felt, or I felt, um, it felt like a stab in the back because you relied so heavily on us for the first X number of years of building your business. We were your marketing team, right? So we're the boots on the ground. We're your ambassadors. We're your whatever, that we're the ones that are selling the product. And, And it's very... Um, apparent in a little bit of what you talked about earlier, Lisa, in that, you know, if you have a sling that's sitting on a shelf in a big box store, there's no, there's no salesperson that's going to walk up to you and tell you the difference between A, B, and C on the shelf. They're going to look at the price. They're going to look at an Amazon review. And that's all that they're going to go off of on whether or not to buy that product. If they walk into a small retailer they're going to get the training of how to use it. They're going to get the customer service. We're going to be able to sell the points of, well, this why this is why this one is better for your situation. This is why this is better for the situation. And so when things like that happen with Secura, for instance, and I, I, I mean, I feel kind of bad bringing that up, but I mean, I'm not a retailer anymore, so it doesn't matter. But, you know, in that particular situation, they actually went away and said, we won't sell to you anymore, brick and mortar stores. But we have this team of 200 ambassadors, or it wasn't that many, but like we have this team of ambassadors across the country or in mommy groups or whatever that are now going to basically do your job as volunteers. And oh, by the way, we're going to give them a discount or free product or whatever. And so to us as a retailer, it felt like a complete stab in the back. Like we've helped build your business up to this point. And you basically just gave us the middle finger and said, we don't really care about you anymore. And so that's, that's something I think to consider in whatever, you know, you guys are facing in either of your industries. Like, yes, there is survival, but there's also what do you do about maintaining those relationships and taking right. the dollar out of it and remaining human in that process. Right. Yeah. And that's something, and those pieces that you're getting into, um, that's one of those non, at this point, non-negotiable. I don't, I don't think, Based on the way Techni was set up, it was diversified enough that that shouldn't be an option. It's naturally moving more towards um, direct consumer, and that's fine. Um, just because retailers don't have the same unfortunate demand that they did, you know, six plus months ago. Right. And you're basically just hoping, and the fingers crossed, is that We've, we're really only going to be in this for this same situation for another six months. And then after that, like it'll go right. back and you yeah. don't want to burn this huge bridge Never. that you've built up that right. over just basically one year of bad sales. Right. And anything else. And even some of it is, it feels very like I'm on pause. So like in terms of, you know, brainstorming which is the way to go it's a lot of very nervous i don't know i don't know where to put my eggs i don't know which direction to go in 
because there isn't something that's clearly moving. It's a lot of, we're just hanging here. Like any of my production stuff is very minimal right now, unless something like, you know, pre-order type thing, simply because how are we going to launch, you know, new collections when we don't, we don't even have the retailers to support it. And we also don't have the consumer sales too. If we don't hear from them, if we don't get that feedback, like you were talking about before, Adam, it's, it's a very unsure situation. I'm sure there's a lot of um, manufacturers and retailers that are in the same boat. They don't know. And how hard is that, Shelly, going into Q4, right. not knowing? Well, if I don't have a show that's telling me what's coming up and my manufacturers don't know what's coming up, how do I know what to buy for Christmas? How do I know what to buy for anything? Like, no one knows. You bet. 30 to 50% of your sales in three months in a typical year. Like right. it'll be, yeah. it'll be really interesting to see if that still holds true in fourth quarter this year for people. So I feel like we haven't really given you a whole lot of like answers. I feel like we've talked a whole lot no, about this is fine. I don't know if there are easy answers because it's so intertwined. Like, in the, like right. I feel like there's a lot of stuff again. It's just, I kind of put it on hold, put it on pause and I'm, working on the other side and other things to pay bills and continue to keep those resources and those relationships alive by more heavily focusing on um, consulting and, and other stuff and helping support other people that maybe have more clear direction at this point. So one of the things that I wanted to, I don't know if this would be helpful for either one of you, but one idea that I had previously used in the retail world. So, um, when I owned the store, we had a lot of local makers, right, mm -hmm. that we would do things with. And obviously, similar to yours, to your um, local maker idea, I mean, you're somewhat local, obviously, but them, we didn't have the same profit margins, right, because they just don't have the cape, like, they're not manufacturing in huge batches, right? So, like, they have a low profit margin. So one of the things that we did is, you know, in one product in particular that we carried was a local maker and we would have a ton of people come in and want to see and touch and feel mm. um, that particular person's because they were primarily only online, right? Mm. Yep. So they really wanted to see what the style of, it was a bag maker, but the style of bag looked like or this fabric looked like or whatever. And so, but it was getting a little frustrating after a while for us at the brick and mortar and that we were spending a decent amount of time helping those customers mm -hmm. and then they would come in and they would go home and order online from that person which isn't again like it's not the end of the world but that maker saw that as hey I want to make sure that you feel valued and wanted to maintain that relationship and so one of the things that we worked out is basically we came up with kind of like a referral or an ambassador kind of thing that basically if somebody came into the store and we were telling them about this product and helping them with it or whatever, we would always make sure to pass along this card to them and say, hey, if you're going back home and you're going to order one of these bags, or you're going to have your husband order a few or, you know, whatever, make sure to have them use this code. And then that lets them know that, hey, they already helped us there. And then we would still get credit for that purchase. Mm. So we wouldn't get the same amount, um, obviously, but we would still get basically a kickback on each one of those purchases. It helps her to track to know how many people were coming in and, you know, we were educating and doing the work too. And it also made us still feel valued, even though the amount wasn't huge, it was the effort it was the thought that really made us feel valued that she 
she wanted to make sure she knew that we that she that we knew that she cared. Cool. Yeah, I know that, and we do. We have an ambassador program with um, Studio Technique. Um, it's it's hard because so much of what our model was built was a lot of in-person hands-on, like what you're talking yeah. about. It was, hey, we're sending you stuff and you guys, you know, free product and kickbacks and you're gonna take stuff to, you know, local get-togethers and groups. And if you sell stuff and then, you know, you use your code and that money goes back to you. And a lot of that just kind of stopped just because we put it, we've, we've been really on hold since March, which is super hard. Do you yeah. do that with your retailers too, though? Like, have no, you ever rolled out an ambassador type program to your retailers? We don't. And that's actually an option we should look into. I know usually, especially for studio stuff, if it's in the store, they're going to sell it off and like sell it to them in terms sure. of ring sling. There's usually not a reason that they would want to, if, if they're trying it on in the store, there's usually not a reason they wouldn't buy it there. A lot of people also get it on their registries too. Sure. That makes sense. But that's not a bad idea too. Um, trying to figure out kind of when and how and what to relaunch kind mm -hmm. of we're doing that. Like right now is we're just sitting in this no man's land and I'm grateful that we are still making sales and we've been able to cut back on, you know, we had to cut back on staff. Um, thankfully all of our staff is part-time um, so they have other pieces that they're working on. Um, and we're very understanding that, Hey, this is just for right now. We need to kind of, you know, get our feet under us. So cutting some of that bottom line stuff also helped with everything else. Yeah. And that's always, that's always really tough. That's not a fun conversation to have. No, those, those are super hard ones. Um, and you know, it's the same people like, our staff has been pretty consistent over the years. It's, you know, the core staff members have been with Techni forever, you know, Diana and Casey and Jess and, you know, any of these people, they've been around, like, this is what they do. And it's something that they understand. Um, and I'm so grateful for that to have them as part of the team, even our seamstress team, our local folks, um, understanding that we're just trying to figure out kind of what's going on right now. And, you know, when we can move forward, we will. Um, in the meantime, we're just kind of hanging out. Like, I'm sure that a lot of people are that you're talking to on your show, too. Well, um, I would really like to, if you're okay with it, I'd really like to um, chat sometime, you and I. And I would really like to just learn more about this um, situation. Um, so if you're okay with that, I'll... I'll I'll uh, get your details in our little chat group and then would love to set up a time just to have a chat. What I'd love to. Absolutely. But, I'm, always, I'm always around. Like I can get very geeky about production and other stuff. If you're ever, I'd love to hear more about your business. If you're looking for different production contacts and trying to bring down costs, like that's become out of necessity. That's kind of my, my niche now. So. Oh, I'm sure we can get geeky with some, with some things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm already i'm already in the geek land in the geekdom yeah, it's all about it i have a lot of contacts all over asia and india and, and whatnot for all perfect your perfect so we're uh at the end of the show and in the last couple of minutes of the show we like to extend it to you and ask you 
if there is anything that the people watching or that we can do for you, anything like that, where would you like people to go to check out more about you? Gosh, um, I would send them to studiotechni.com. Um, I know you don't have anything that's flashing on top there, but um, you well, can Well, Shelly's working on it. T-E-K-H-N-I. <laughs> you can find us all over. Our main line is Techni Wovens, and then our um, lower-priced um, consumer line is studiotechni.com. Um, during this, and it was supposed to, again, you know, hey, this was going to be over in a few months, right? We ran um a sale and we've just kind of extended it right now until things are hey studiotechnic.com thank you shelly she is um, on top of it you can use code home 40 for 40 percent off right now um that's okay. something that we have extended for a little bit because while people are home and trying to figure out ways especially um child caretakers to manage their hands-on things right now, it's important that we get slings into people's hands um, in an affordable fashion. So we have had, yep, home 40. So that's something that was supposed to be in effect for a, a small, finite amount of time. And we've extended it just because I think the country's shutting down again. So, and people are gonna need a sling or two. Yep, I agree. All right, well, it was great chatting with you. This was this was a very informative little podcast. Oh, yeah. I, we could chat for hours afterwards. I'll <laughs> perfect. <laughs> I don't have anything going on. <laughs> Just Netflix I... and Cheetos. <laughs> that That's is it. what Adam does every day, actually. That's so, it. I I just want to say that I miss you so much. Like oh, I totally miss these amazing conversations. Like I love your transparency. I love your honesty. I love your supportiveness. One of the reasons I've always been so attracted to you and your business is the strong sense of community and morals and beliefs that you exhibit every day and how you treat people and how you speak to people. And it's very apparent that you care a lot about your community, including your business community. And that's that's super important to me. And I'm glad to see that you're you're being provided with a way to continue doing that throughout this. So. Yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm very grateful that able to pivot and make things work for right now. And just knowing, keeping in mind that this isn't forever. Like I told my kids, this is your, the vault is yours, not forever, but for right now, because this is what's right. This is what we need to do. We're not having people over right now for fittings and sales. So. Right. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you guys. So All much. right. Well, we end every podcast by saying peace out Brussels sprout. And we will. See <laughs> I love it. Thank you guys so much. Bye. Have a wonderful day.